1: It's time to talk all things Dirty Birds. It's Falcon's Flyover. With John Chuckery on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game.
0: Back in the Kia studios on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Chuckery Show here, hanging out with you. 404-741-0929. That's our Solomon Brothers Diamond text line to be a part of the show. Odyssey app is how you catch us when you're on the go. Social media at 929 Game on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. I am at JMCH316 on my personal Twitter page. We'll talk to Brad Rowland here in about 20 minutes from right now. But first, your night look at all things Atlanta Falcons. It is the Falcons flyover. So Bill Barnwell, an NFL writer for ESPN. Here's what he says is going to happen with Caleb McGarry. He says that Caleb McGarry is going to get the franchise tag... And then they're going to work out a long-term deal with him that he pegs at four years and $50 million. Now, again, why would the Falcons franchise tag Caleb McGarry? Is he an $18 million tag? I understand the reasons, and I'm all for bringing Caleb McGarry back. $18 $18 million, $18.2 million to franchise tag Caleb McGarry. Then work out a deal with him. F no. No. Work out the deal beforehand. If he wants to be here, he'll sign. The four for 50 isn't bad. That's not a bad deal for $12.5 million. But the franchise tag where all $18 million gets stuck on the cap? I don't want McGarry for that. Again, we'll have 68 million dollars to spend. Right, 56 in cap space, which is just slightly off the 100 million that Freaky said we would have. 56 million in cap space, then 12 million more with Marcus Mariota. He's going to take up 18 of that. And here's another guy who I'm seeing a lot of stories on: Jesse Bates safety from the Bengals. Well, he could help out our safeties and all that. Didn't we just draft a second-round safety and a guy in the fourth round that actually played pretty well? At, I mean, have, so we're going to – so Bates signed a one-year $13 million contract with the Bengals. So we're going to tie up another $13 million in him for a guy that stands 15 yards from the line of scrimmage? Well, how does Jesse Bates help me get sacks? How do, who does he block that's coming off the edge so my quarterback can stand upright? I like Jesse Bates. Good player. But a $13 million, is that really what this franchise needs? Is a $13 million safety. You think he's taking a pay cut? Oh, man. Man. And then I'm going to give $18 million to a guy that still can't pass protect as we probably will throw it more this year just simply because of the nature of the quarterback with Desmond Ritter that we can trust him to be a little bit more competent in the passing game. So that's $68 million. I got $31 million dedicated to those two guys. Oh, man. All right, Nick Shook, NFL.com writer, graded out the Atlanta, Fal- well, NFC South as a whole. He gave, he graded out their rookie classes in the NFC South. He gave the Falcons a B minus in their rookie uh, class. Um, first line here, despite uh, running routes for the likes of Marcus Mariota, rookie Desmond Ritter, Drake London thrived in year one, catching 72 passes for 866 yards and four touchdowns. He's penciled in as Atlanta's top receiver going forward. Arnold Ibikati had the type of season one might expect from a second-round pick, getting only one start but playing more pass-rushing snaps than the starter in front of him. Though his numbers weren't gaudy, he put together uh, some solid performances and needs to build on that in the years ahead. Well, yeah, I mean, we've got to have him, you know, get to to that double-digit sack level. Troy Anderson's PFF grade wasn't great, but he started to find his footing... Late in his rookie season, tied or sorry, finished tied for the third most hustles, uh, hustle stops among all Falcons defenders. Uh, and they say a hustle stop is a tackle resulting in a successful play for the defense when the player covers 20 plus yards of distance from snap to tackle. Uh, Arthur Smith's decision to test Ritter in the final month of the season uh, didn't produce wins initially, but the quarterback started to figure it out in the last couple of weeks. Up in the Falcons to a pair of victories, uh, completing 38 of 56 passes for 393 yards, two touchdowns in those final two games. Uh, Ritter hasn't convinced everyone yet. He's the answer for Atlanta at that position going forward. However, he wasn't completely lost, which is a positive sign for a third-round pick. Now, I do think that Ritter got better every single week. They called, De- uh, they say about D'Angelo Malone, he played 432 snaps, uh, split down the middle between defense and special teams. One sack, 29 tackles. Um, Tyler Algier, obviously a 1,000-yard runner in this offense, set the rookie record. Justin Schaefer didn't make the final 53 as he was on the practice squad, and John Fitzpatrick uh, landed on injured reserve on September 1st out there. So, you know, I, I'm. that's probably a fair grade. It's probably more like a B because Tyler Algier was a great pick. You know, that, that's a fifth-round pick that got you 1,000 yards rushing. Now, again, can he be Michael Turner and give you 16 17 1,800? Probably not. It's probably not the kind of back he is. But if I can consistently get 1, 1,100, 1,150 out of Tyler Algier, I'll take that all day long because they're always going to employ multiple running backs. Again, we talked about this weeks ago, months ago, I don't even know when, but Arnold Ebicady has to have the biggest step forward. He has to be that pass rush guy. Because if you go with a rookie that you draft at eight, you've got a rookie and Arnold Ebicady. And I'm going to talk more tomorrow about the idea of Lorenzo Carter who got his contract voided. But you need Ebicady to start all 17 games and then you draft a rookie at number eight to go get your that, – that two guys has to step forward and have to accumulate the bulk of your sacks. Now, you can add Deron Payne in. You can add Javon Hargrave, whatever names you want to put with it, and then add Grady's production and all this kind of stuff. But those have got to be your two guys that get it done. And at some point, at some point in our life – We have to start sacking the quarterback. We could talk about, oh, well, offense wins and all that. Yeah, but sacking the quarterback also wins. That's That's why all the teams that can sack the quarterback are always at the top of the playoff list. Philly, 49ers, Kansas City. Again, the Super Bowl champion the last three years has finished in the top four in sacks. It was the team that finished number two this year. It was the team that finished number three the year before, and it was the team that finished number four the year before that. The Chiefs, the Buccaneers, and the – sorry, Chiefs, uh, Rams, and Buccaneers. All three finished in the top four in sacks. You have to sack the quarterback in today's league. You can't not have that skill set, or your defense won't progress forward. No matter how many $13 million safeties that you add to your roster, your defense won't progress forward. It won't get better. It won't be a top-ten defense. It won't be a defense that can go out and dictate a game for you. None of that stuff until you sack the quarterback. All right, Daniel Jeremiah has his uh, mock draft 2.0. Jalen Carter to the Bears. Bryce Young to the Texans. Tyree Wilson to Arizona. C.J. Stroud to Indy. Will Anderson to the Seahawks. Miles Murphy Will Levis, and then at the Atlanta Falcons, he's got and he's had this guy before, um, Lucas Van Ness, the edge player out of Iowa. He says I expect Van Ness to put on a show at the NFL scouting combine. He'll start capturing a lot of attention after he tests in Indianapolis. Again, I'm I'm okay with that, with certainly with that position, right? I'm certainly okay with that. Um, Didn't see him play as much, but I I know he was a productive player, you know, following college football around. But let's see. I I mean, look, there's going to be some guys that come out of this draft class that are going to excel at edge and sacking the quarterback. Okay? If you tell me it's offensive line, if you tell me it's defensive edge, or you tell me it's C.J. Stroud. I'm all in on any of those three. O-line, edge, C.J. Stroud. Notice I didn't say quarterback. I said C.J. Stroud. If you tell me I get one of those three things, I'm all in. Anybody other than that, I'm out. I'm out. And at some point, at some point, we have to address if if you're sick. Okay? If if you're sick and and you can get treatment and different things like that, okay? If you I, I don't know. Garrett, pick pick up pick an illness. Pick an illness. Pick something that that's get you sick or the you're flu. ill. Okay, the flu. Okay? If you have the flu, you don't rub Vaseline on your knees. Might make your knees feel better, but you don't rub Vaseline on your knees, right? You don't take a foot bath, right? If you got the flu, you rest, you get your body, you know, healthier, you you eat, different things, if that's what ails you. But we're rubbing Vicks Rub on our knees, we're taking foot baths, we're soaking in some Epsom salt. We're doing the things that don't address what the issue is. And that's the way our draft process has been. And again, we've given you the stats and the numbers. 70% of the top 10, the top 20, the top 25 active sack leaders come from the first round. I just want one of those guys. And maybe it's not best available player. Because at some point, you do have to address what is the number one thing that why you can't get over the hump? Why you can't get over the hump? Spending money on a $13 million safety doesn't do it. I'll give that money and a lot more to Deron Payne or Hargrave or somebody like that before I'll do any of that kind of stuff. I'll give my big free agent money away to those guys that influence the game. Not safety. And again, it's not a matter of, well, this guy's a good player, that guy's a good player. It doesn't matter if they're good players or not. You know, we've actually drafted pretty well with Drake London and Kyle Pitts. Those guys are good players. But why can't we get over the hump? Why is it that we're not getting over the hump? Well, we don't have our quarterback set in stone. We don't have outstanding quarterback play. We don't have outstanding defensive line play. Our offensive line has been pretty good. And by the way, the guys that we invested high draft capital into our offensive line with have been the stalwarts of our offensive line, have they not? Jake Matthews, Chris Lindstrom, Caleb McGarry. That's the three stalwarts on your offensive line. Not Drew Dolman, not Jalen Mayfield, not Matt Hennessy. not Elijah Wilkinson. The stalwarts on your offensive line, Jake Matthews, first-round pick, Chris Lindstrom, first-round pick. Caleb McGarry, first-round pick. That's the three guys. All right. Brad Roland going to join us up next from Locked On Hawks. Talk about this Nate McMillan firing. Chuck the Kia Studios. Sports Radio, 92.9 The Game. Odyssey.com. Now. Sports Radio, 92.9 The Game. Back with you on the John Chuckery Show, hanging out in the Key Studios on this Monday evening. 404-741-0929, that's the Solomon Brothers Diamond text line to be a part of the show. The Odyssey app is how you catch us on the go. Social media at 929 the game on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. You can follow me at JMCH316 on my personal Twitter page. Well, obviously, everything abuzz around the Atlanta Hawks as Nate McMillan has been released from his duties as head coach. Let's head out to the WadeFord.com hotline. Let's talk to our buddy Brad Roland. He is the host of Locked on Hawks, a daily Hawks podcast, part of the Locked on Network. I think I know somebody else who's on that network. But anyway, uh, he is on Twitter, at BT Rowland. Brad, as always, buddy, appreciate it, man. Thanks for jumping on in such a quick fashion. As uh, news breaking everywhere, huh? Yeah, it was uh, not
2: exactly expected. I'm, I'm not shocked, but I am surprised for sure. Yeah,
0: you know, I, I asked this question, and, and maybe you can shed some light on it. I understand not doing it right around the All Star Game, but Landry Fields even said that. Well, you know, certainly the last couple of games played a definite factor in this, in you know, giving up 266 points of the uh, uh, Hornets and the and the Knicks. Why not just fire him after Wednesday night's performance instead of waiting until now?
2: Yeah, it's a reasonable question for sure. And I actually, you know, not to say that I was going to report or anything like that, but I was hearing a little tiny bit of buzz on Thursday and Friday that he could be in trouble. And then when it went away, like nothing happened, I kind of assumed it was over and it was going to just be business as usual. So yeah, it's maybe just maybe it's just that they want to stay out of the way of the league and the league might want not a lot of bad stories around All-Star weekend. I don't know what it would be, but I think your logic is right there. Like, you would want the staff. Granted, it is Nate's staff. They're not going to be able to make huge changes in between now and the next game. Gameplay-wise, they're going to practice this week, and um, you know it won't be a, a total overhaul. But it would have been probably helpful for all parties to know this four or five days ago. I maybe have the weight lifted a little bit. On the other side, I guess they might have had their reasons, or maybe it came from the top, and they just kind of decided after a three- or four-day powwow to go ahead and move on. But the timing is a little bit weird for sure.
0: So nobody thought that Nate McMillan would be back next year. Nope. No Hawks reporter, nobody when I talked to guys around the league, nobody thought Nate McMillan would be back next year. Why do you think now with 23 games left, and, and I mean n- more than just the all-star break and it's a natural break in the action, but with 23 games left of the season, why do you think the change had to come now?
2: I think it's a combination of things. I mean, you mentioned it, it is a very natural place to do it, even though we just talked about they waited a few extra days. It does give them a very rare time when you actually have, like, back-to-back practices to make a change. Most of the time in the NBA, you don't have more than one practice at a time, and uh, really it's, the schedule is pretty daunting. That's one part of it. I think also just, you know, it was leaked out by the Hawks to Woj and others that they still want to salvage this season. I'm sure part of that is that. Um, I'm skeptical that you know, going from Nate to Nate's staff without Nate is going to make a huge difference necessarily, but maybe that's part of it. And I think a big chunk of it, especially if you look at who's it, been reported as being potential candidates, is that there is a first mover advantage. If the Hawks want to get out there and be the first team to have an opening and kind of be able to get their ducks in a row for next year and beyond – there's a little bit of an advantage to say, all right, guys, we're open for business, especially if like Quinn Snyder is like, on their list or whoever, guys they can actually you know maybe talk to now or at least get in the mix for before the season ends. There's probably an advantage there as well. So it's probably a little bit of all those things, but if you're looking for like one shiny reason why they moved on, I think there's probably not going to be one for you. It's probably a lot, of, a lot of different things that we're playing into the formula.
0: Brad Rowland, host of Locked on Hawks, a daily podcast about the Atlanta Hawks, joins us here on the waitford.com hotline. I know everybody, you know, in life likes to centralize the blame onto just one entity, whether it's players, coaches, front office owners and things like that. But I've been preaching the idea that I don't think anybody has their hands clean in this. I don't think I think everybody has dirty hands. It wasn't just a Nate issue. It wasn't just a player issue. It wasn't just a front office issue. It wasn't just an owner issue. Do you think that this is kind of everybody's got their hands dirty in this whole thing? Or is there one person that you put above everybody for why we're where we're at?
2: I think we're on the same page, honestly. You know, it's a very natural fan reaction in particular to just put it on the coach. That's a very natural thing. I think, you know, in the last few months, it's been very clear that the fan base has turned on Nate McMillan after thinking he was kind of the second coming a couple of years ago when he took over from Lloyd Pierce. It's kind mm-hmm. of funny to see some of the turns and reactions there. Um, and look, I don't think Nate was a perfect coach by any means. I think he's probably not the answer that's going to make the Hawks a contender. But he is not. he's far from the only problem, to your point. I think ownership – has deserves a big part of the blame i think that anytime you know you're in the face of an organization you're the you're the money person and you set the culture um tony is not blameless at all i think the front office you know is now obviously been overhaul but travis wasn't perfect this new group obviously has their feet wet now a little bit but they have a lot of uncertainty the players have not played well um it's it's everything and i think that is uh it's hard to communicate that it's not a satisfying answer but uh, I think it would be very silly to put all of the blame, or at least even a lion's share of the blame, for the Hawks' underperformance on Nate. It's also a very natural thing to move on, especially in the NBA. This is just, this is just what happens when a team underperforms; the head coach gets fired. It's a very it's a very frequent thing. It's been happening for years across the league, and that's nothing new. But uh, him being the scapegoat is it's, it, it makes some sense, but it's not going to solve everything right away for sure.
0: You know, Brad, I. I- I saw the same tweet from StatMuse that that you put into context about the 14 teams and things like that about how the Hawks are among a starting five that's played 300 minutes they're the number one defensive efficiency team in the league and there's only 14 teams I understand that but that's still about half the league that that has done that why it doesn't feel like that though right like I mean when you read that stat and I'm not disputing what StatMuse has put out there, but nothing. maybe it's just a recency bias of, well, they gave up 266 points in the last two games that they played. Maybe it's that, but nothing about that stat just says, man, they really are a good defensive team when they all play together. I, I, I can't wrap my arms around all of that and that stat that, that was put out there
2: yeah it, it is tough and you know something i've been saying a lot and it, it is true objectively when they have all of their starters available they're 19 and 11 this year and that's not going to set the world on fire But that, that's a good team if you're 19 and 11 over a 30 game sample that's a, that's a good basketball team and i think the defensive stats like you said I, I, there's not really a world where this team is like an elite defense that doesn't really exist i don't think but they are generally good when their starters play together but i, I have been saying this a lot recently you can't just bank on being healthy all the time. Like in the NBA, it'd be nice to have perfect health, but nobody has perfect health. And if your entire roster is constructed to where you can't withstand even one injury at a time, especially when it's not even a Trey Young, it's not like, it's, not like it's, it's, it's your best player that's out all the time. It's just like a, if anybody's out, they suddenly just get a lot worse and you just can't function that way. So I think the recency bias plays into it. They They have been very bad defensively in the recent past, kind of hilariously as their offense has been better recently. Early in the season, their offense was the problem. And now it's been a defense again, and it's kind of back to where it was a couple of years ago, really the last couple of years, where it's been an offense-first team that can't get stops. And finding that, that equilibrium is a very important thing. And aside from the starting lineup, which you said accurately has been good this year, every other group, for the most part, has been something less than great. And, uh, again, you, you can't just bank on your, your starting five playing all your minutes. And because even, even the best teams that are the healthiest teams, you only play so many minutes with your actual starting five, and your bench has to be a factor as well.
0: And how much, Brad, you know, it, it doesn't seem like it's ever just one guy that's out. It seems like it's two, three. I think we had one game where four starters were out. You know, that, that seems to be it just kind of spirals that it's never just like one guy that's, that's dinged up or something like that. It always seems like it's like two or three guys that we miss at one time.
2: Yeah, they've definitely been clustered together. I mean, it's interesting because if you look at the numbers and the way the the games played have gone, you know, last year and two years ago, the Hawks had a lot more injury issues than they've actually had this year. If you look at them compared to the rest of the league this year, they've actually been above average in sort of health luck. They've had their guys more often than other teams have. But like you said, when they're missing two guys at once, or if you're just if you're constructed to like have this, they have this depth this depth issue, and they solved some of that deadline by getting Sadiq Bay. But if you were asking me what their number one problem is on the roster coming into the season, I would have said their extended depth. Like when everybody's talking, they have a good top eight, top nine, but their 10 through 12, 10 through 13 is very bad. And I think those guys end up playing real minutes when you have any kind of injury, and that can kind of sort of, uh, I don't know, have the ball going down, sort of downhill on you a little bit because, um, you know, with one thing breaking, they don't have a lot of depth to fill it in. When is out, they don't have a lot to fill in. When is out, same thing. When Capella's out. And uh, they just kind of have some, they have so many quote unquote irreplaceable guys that you you become to where if anything goes wrong, you're in dire need of a, uh, of an overhaul.
0: Brad Roland joining us on the waitfor.com hotline, host of the locked on Hawks podcast, the daily podcast about the Atlanta Hawks. So this is, this is what I personally believe that this decision, and this goes back to, I think the separation of the owner from the general manager and all this. This is what I personally believe that this is going to be a Tony wrestler hire. And I think that my personal belief is that he's going to go into deep waters. He's going to go for a home run hire, a splashy hire. And I'm not saying that, I'm not saying Kyle Corver and Landry Fields won't have a say in all of this, but this feels like it's going to be a Tony wrestler hire when all is said and done. Do you think that way, or do you think you know, this is going to be fields and Corver that ultimately make this decision?
2: I think with Tony Wrestler, and we don't know what's going to happen for sure, but I think with Tony Wrestler, there's a track record now where every big move is a Tony wrestler move on some level. He's very, very involved by ownership standards, and that can be good, and that your owner does want to win. Uh, it could also be bad if your owner starts to override your basketball people, and I think that's been a, a line that he's walked in the past, and I think has has crossed in the past, from what I have heard and what he's even admitted to on the record at times. Like he's been a little bit reactionary. He's a, he's an emotional guy. He's a competitive guy, and I think that anytime you get to a level where you're making a a front office decision, like a GM hire or a head coaching hire, the owner is always going to be in the mix. So. If I had to guess right now, and it's still very early, obviously, it's only been a few hours, but I think that you will see, you know, the combination of fields and corporate, maybe compile a list, and then at the end of the day, that hire has to be stamped or put across the finish line by Tony, and I think, you know, he definitely definitely likes a splash, no question about that. I think the first and most prominent name that's been out there the last few hours is Quinn Snyder, who's an established high-end coach, and that would be a pretty splashy move. He also has Hawk, he also has Hawk's ties, being a uh, assistant under under Budenholzer with Tony on uh, with Tony already as the owner, so maybe that's sort of the connection there. But that would qualify under what you're saying there. But if you go to a to the next level or two down and you get into the assistant pool, that's no longer splashy, and is that is that going to be okay with him? We'll see. But really, Snyder's the only sort of i would say very very prominent name that's been out there other guys that are notable like kenny atkinson and charles lee who have hawks ties but if it's the splash thing um you know tony it's going to be a big part of that because honestly that costs real money which doesn't apply to the salary cap but if you're tony wrestler you, you got to be able to cut the check and by the way that would be your third guy that you're paying because david Millen is uh, gonna, get, gonna be getting paid next year and the year about and the year after that he's still under contract for a long time and that's an ownership decision you've got, you've got to be willing to pay that guy and to make a splash, it's going to cost them some uh, some big
0: money. What about a name that a lot of people are attaching? An Emi uh, A Odoka, um, obviously that's another name that that fans are instantly saying, "Let's get this guy! Let's get this guy!" But what do you think about a a, a guy like that bring bringing him in as the coach?
2: I, I think it's plausible. It, it struck me as notable that none of the major newsbreakers mentioned him today. Like no one's reported him as a candidate. Which doesn't mean that he's not a candidate, but usually if that was a guy who was in the mix, you would have heard about it by now. And I think, you know, obviously he has the off-court questions. He is currently suspended for a year from the Celtics, and they've, they've kind of parted ways. And no matter what you think about the about situation, um, it's plausible that he's just kind of on the cross-off list for some teams. That could, that could include the Hawks. I'm not saying that's definitely the case for Atlanta, but he would be an interesting uh, PR question as well on top of everything else. And um, yeah, I, maybe the Hawks want to do that. I think that he and Snyder are the two guys who are not currently coaching who would be uh, real candidates. Everybody else is probably on a staff somewhere. So if the wanted to move quickly, the, the very logical names would be Snyder and Udoka. But uh, again, I, I'm not reporting it by any means, but I thought it was very interesting and notable to me that neither Woj nor Shams, none of those high-profile guys, even threw him out there today. And uh, that was something that I noticed. I think people were on the lead notes too.
0: Last question, Brad. Um, Joe Prunty, he's been a, a coach before. He took over for Jason Kidd. Uh, coached the Bucks, and they lost the playoff series to the Celtics. Short of him getting to the Eastern Conference Finals, any chance that they would retain him or is it kind of association with Nate uh, at the end of the day with all this?
2: I think that the simple the, the simple reaction would be that he, it would take a lot. Uh, I used to conference finals. Um, it was interesting to me going back into in my notes when they promoted Nate after firing Lloyd Pierce
1: there was none of this
2: like instant candidate list last time around. Like, and today it seemed like the Hawks had a prepared candidate list to leak to reporters, whereas that didn't happen last time around. I think Joe Prunty is a respected assistant coach, but it would take him putting together a heck of a run, I think, to even be a candidate, much less be the lock to keep his job. Whereas with Nate, he had the gravitas, he had, he had the history. Nate's a top 20 all time guy and a head coaching point in the NBA. It was not inconceivable at all that Nate um, would be the head coach full time, whereas with Prunty, I think it really might take what you said, like a conference finals run, like finishing the season seventeen and six and winning a playoff series or two, to even get him on the list. Much less actually making making him the coach. So it's not impossible, but it's not. It would be because of him. But I think the Hawks want to go probably outside of the current structure, and that kind of plays against him.
0: Check out his Locked On Hawks podcast, a daily podcast about the Atlanta Hawks and Locked On Network. Brad Rowland join us here on the Wade dot com hotline. You can follow him on his Twitter page at BT Roland. Brad, as always, buddy, appreciate it, man. Thanks so much uh, for the chat, and uh, listen, we'll talk again soon here as we try to figure out the rest of this season so far.
2: (laughs) Thanks for having me on. I appreciate
0: it. You got it. All right, when we get back, it will be time for What's Bugging Chuckery. So Jalen Carter's issue was that he helped out a teammate. Hmm. Okay. Chuckery here in the Kia Studios, Sports Radio, 92.9 The Game, Odyssey.com app. Sports Radio 92.9, The Game. Back with you, John Chuckery Show. All right, here's what we're going to do. So, um, we'll replay Brad Roland uh, at 1020, and uh, and I'm doing this for Garrett. Uh, <laughs> and then we'll take your phone calls at 940. So, 940, we'll take your calls and reaction to, um, you know, a lot of calls earlier in the show. Take your calls and reaction to uh, for the late-night crowd uh, to the firing of Nate McMillan. So, again, I still ask the question, why did this just not happen on Wednesday after the the Knicks debacle? You had two games in a row that was just the most embarrassing. And truthfully, I thought the game on that, I think it was Monday night, the Monday night loss at, at Charlotte. I thought that was kind of the low point until the Knicks game on Wednesday going into the break. And this team just had no heart, no soul, No want to know anything to it. And they gave up 266 points in those two games heading into the All-Star break. And it was just – and I understand the timing of why right now for it, just because you want to get through, excuse me, all of the All-Star festivities and different things like that, right? You don't want the Hawks coaching situation to become a distraction for All-Star weekend. Right, And you don't want all of that surrounding all of that, that a coach was just fired a, a, the day the day before an All-Star game and all that kind of stuff, right? So I get all of that. But it should have just happened on Wednesday if it was going to happen. And, and I'm sure that they – my guess is – my guess is they told Nate pretty quickly. Like they told him before this weekend. I don't think they surprised Nate McMillan right now because, again – they would be back practicing and getting ready, right? I mean, you know, I know President's Day was yesterday. I don't think they would have taken off that holiday, shoot around and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, okay. So, you know, rather than, rather than wait, they already had this the wheels in motion for all of this to happen. And it was just a situation where you knew it was going to happen. If, if, if they had done it then, you know, today, they knew on wednesday night after that game right that they they knew that they were going to pull this move now again you know brad said this and i believe this too they're not throwing away this season you know they're they're not looking to tank so you have a guy that has coached a team on an interim basis before gotten them to the playoffs And took the Celtics to seven games. So you have somebody who has been a head coach in the league before and helped, you know, a team after a coach was fired, after Jason Kidd was fired, help lead a team to the playoffs. But as we said, there's probably, I mean, short of another Eastern Conference Finals run, there's probably nothing about Joe Prunty that will give him this job. I I think that truthfully, the the biggest thing and and the reason why is it's not that he may be a bad coach or something like that, but I think the stench of Nate McMillan and his staff, because they're going to blow out their staff. I I don't think they want any remnants of Nate McMillan because it's been, you know, you, you hired your interim coach before. So you promoted your interim coach to full-time coach. See how that works? That, that's still a guy that coached. By the way, uh, isn't Nate McMillan's record reflective of his time in Atlanta when they were 27 and 11? Doesn't that count against his coaching record? Oh, okay. So so this won't count toward – okay, anyway. Because, again, if they go to another coach, it's going to be Trey Young's fourth coach. In, in his time here with the franchise – this will be his fourth coach. I don't understand why that math is so hard for some people. But, uh, again, you know, it's, you know, the public school system that folks have a little trouble with. But anyway, so short of he can get us to the Eastern Conference Finals, I don't think there's any way that, that he's, going to, he, he's going to be the guy. And I don't know how quickly they're going to put a deal in place with somebody. I, I, don't, I don't really know. Maybe they've already got a list of candidates. Maybe they've been looking at doing this move for months now. Again, uh, I-, I had Garrett look it up. They were 19-22, and 22, ninth in the Eastern Conference at the midway point. And I said that something was going to happen at the midway point that I thought something would go on. Well, they waited a little bit longer to fire Nate, but why couldn't you f- – when they were 19-22 and 22 and ninth in the Eastern Conference, wouldn't that have been a better time? I mean, yes, they're in the middle of the season, but if the results were just not going to be a lot better, and I guess you know they're they were two games better, uh, you know, the rest of the way until they fired Nate McMillan, two games better, because instead of being three games under 500, they're a game under 500, so they improved by two games. But wouldn't that have been a time at the midway point of the season, the actual midway point of the season, or after the Knicks game on Wednesday? You had to know it was coming with that with that effort that Tony Russell was up in Charlotte saw that effort and then the effort against the Knicks. Maybe they didn't want to make it seem like it was a rash decision or a panic button kind of move. But anyway, so we'll uh, we'll get your reaction here in about less than an hour from uh, right now. First, though, let's get to something we call what's bugging Chuckery.
1: Don't look now, but somebody out there just got Chuckery ticked off. <laughs> Like, that's hard. Don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. It's time for What's Buggin' Chuckery on Sports Radio 92.9, The Game.
0: So, remember Todd McShay a couple of months ago when he said that Jalen Carter had quote-unquote character issues that could affect his stock? Now, to be honest with you, maybe he goes number two instead of number one overall. But it turns out that for this past season, Carter paid for his teammate Weston Wallace's meals with his own scholarship money. So Weston Wallace is a walk-on that was obviously having to foot the bill on everything. And Jalen Carter used his scholarship money to pay for Wallace's meals so that he could get the food and things like that versus he had to come out of pocket or what have you. So if that's the character issues that Jalen Carter has, that Todd McShay was coming, because if he had murdered somebody or ran somebody over with their car, we'd probably know that by now because he said that these are issues that are going to pop up that could affect his draft stock. So if I'm drafting Jalen Carter and he's available at whatever pick I'm I'm to, um, I want that kid right away. Forget the on-field stuff and his ability to disrupt a game and the tape and everything else that he could do. The fact that he did that for one of his teammates... Speaks highly of him. So I don't really understand what kind of character issue there is that's going to pop up with Jalen Carter. Maybe he's got a sordid past that none of us know about. Maybe he's got skeletons in his closet that nobody knows about. Maybe he's got some kind of history of bad behavior that we just don't know about. But if this is the issue, and a lot of people are pointing to it, that... This is the issue that Jalen Carter is facing, that he paid for Weston Wallace's meals. Don't really know how that's going to affect his draft stock. I I think it would probably raise his draft stock. I I would think that if I sat down and said, okay, give me a really good guy that's about team and teammates and different things like that, hmm, this kid – Paid out of his you know, scholarship money to help feed this kid that was a walk-on player. Sign me up, please. Sign me up for all of that. Again, at the end of the day, it's not going to affect Jalen Carter's stock. Whether he did this or he didn't do it, it really wouldn't matter. If you can play in the league, you can play in the league. Short of murdering somebody or running somebody over with your car, And none of that has come out in the forefront. And certainly if Jalen Carter had done that at some point, we'd all know about it. There's nothing that's not a secret anymore. But if this is what the character issues are or the character flaws or anything like that, hmm, okay. Uh, Because all of this just points arrow upward for Jalen Carter. And that's what's bugging Chuckery. All right, 940, we will uh, take your phone calls. Um, We'll take your phone calls about this uh, Nate McMillan situation and, um, you know, 23 games left for the season. Joe Prunty is going to be the head coach for now, so uh, we'll see how long. I I wonder if the Hawks don't have some kind of side deal in place uh, because, again, I think Tony Ressler is going to go for the splash. Like, I think that he wants a splash and he wants – he wants a, a a splashy guy, you know, is that Kenny Atkinson? Eh, I don't know. You know, in basketball circles, he's a well-respected assistant coach from Golden State, but, you know, I don't know if that's the splashy hire that he's looking for that creates buzz around the league. I think Tony Ressler is going for splashy and just for buzz around the league hire. And, and maybe that person isn't the best coach when all is said and done and, you know, when all, when, when all of the things shake out for all of it, you know, maybe this hire won't work out, you know, either. But, again, the guy that was bulletproof just a couple of years ago, you see how long he lasted after making an Eastern Conference Finals run and arguably having the best run that the Atlanta Hawks ever had in their history, even, even more than the 60-win team because they got swept out. At least the Hawks won a couple of games in that Eastern Conference Final. So we'll see what happens. All right, um, you know, I brought this stat up earlier, but i it's hard for me to still wrap my arms around this stat about the Atlanta Hawks. We'll talk about that next. the Kia Studios, Sports Radio, 92.9 The Game, Odyssey.com app.